Hello and welcome to Androids and Assets. I'm Marshall. And I'm Stephen. Uh, this is the podcast where we talk about the political economy of speculative fiction. That's power structures uh, in the fictional worlds that we know and love. Things like uh, who has money, who doesn't have money, how are decisions made, where does stuff come from, you know, how do, how do conflicts get resolved. Yeah, yeah, these sorts of questions. And all of these are reflections uh, on the real world and what's going on around us and, and how all of that happens uh, in our day-to-day. So, you know, so you might think that, you know, watching Star Trek doesn't have a lot of impact on your life. And uh, you would be wrong about that's, that. That's what we're here to tell you. You're wrong. wrong. You're wrong. <laughs> Stephen and Marshall here to, to the daily or week, weekly to tell you you're wrong. <laughs> Today we are talking about diseases in science fiction. Uh, we thought this was quite present with the ongoing uh, situation with COVID-19. My understanding of the nomenclature is that we were calling it novel coronavirus, and now that it has received a designation, we've migrated on to COVID-19. Um, but please, uh, pathologists, if I'm wrong, uh, let me know. Because so, while we like to tell you that you're wrong, we also like when you tell us that we're wrong. Yeah, yes. <laughs> it's just a big circle of wrongness. So just some general information about COVID-19. Obviously we're not pathologists or statisticians or doctors, but uh, we did some reading and uh, we've seen uh, kind of varying reports. Um, Some that were really crazy and gave really obviously wrong information about the death toll, you know, uh, or projected death toll saying that it will be, you know, uh, comparing it to stuff like Ebola and other crazy things like that. That's that uh, irresponsible, uh, criminal, irresponsible, and objectively untrue. Um, what we did read from more reasonable sources was a, a death rate from ranging from one in a thousand to upward three percent. Um, and this information is constantly changing. Obviously, um, it's hard to know, but um, you know, we w- certainly want to avoid hysteria and panic (laughs) but i think the important thing to know is that this is actually a very serious uh, problem and that you know um people are just you know governments and states and you know health organizations are are very right to be responding the way they are in really trying to make a strong effort to to minimize its impact on the general public some some people will say oh you know the death rate is only one in one thousand uh and i I think that's the wrong tack you know, one in a thousand is is still that's a lot of people, and that's a lot of people that you will uh, potentially know. Uh, and it doesn't matter to be told, oh, it's one in a thousand. So, you know, why, why are we just unlucky? Why are we that, worrying like, about this? Yeah, that doesn't that doesn't help. Uh, and and as, particularly people who uh, you know are already immunocompromised, it's not it's not great to be told, oh, don't worry, it's only one in a thousand. It'll be you. These things never go according to plan, right? These are statistical aggregates. Um, you know, some people will die and every single one of those deaths will be tragic and sad. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and so when I think we're talking about them, it's not, we're not being glib about these things. This is very serious. Um, but there is also, we're also existing in a world of relative scale where there are obviously pathogens that that are kill more percentage of exposed people than others. So if we are talking about these things and we're, we're making comparisons or talking about assessments of like good or bad, uh, it's not to, you know, to dismiss the severity of the coronavirus problem, but it is to acknowledge that there are differing uh, levels of impact mm-hmm. that can occur. So uh, 
that that death rate of of somewhere between like a, a fraction of a percentage to uh, up up to like around three percent or perhaps higher. Um, that is a significant number. It's not an apocalyptic number, though. Mm-hmm. Um, civilization will not come to a grinding halt because of this. Um, you know, there's stories like uh, I'm thinking uh, the recent novel uh, Station Eleven by Emily St. John Mandel. Uh, there's a, a terrible sort of flu-like illness that ravages the, the globe uh, and in a matter of, I, I think, weeks, uh, wipes out all but 3% of the population. Uh, and that is a, a a very different sort of scenario than, than what we're looking at. In, in that case, you know, like entire cities just cease to exist. Um, global travel is, is gone. Yeah, so a lot of things you, you just can't do anymore that because you, know, you had a population base that was of a certain, you know, yeah. Yeah. And, per- I, and I mean like yeah. 3% of the earth is still a lot of people. That's still, you know, but yeah. they're spread out over the entire globe. So it doesn't feel like a lot of people, right? Like the, the population density, uh, just dropped drastically. So it's, it's hard to support like, you know, the automobile construction industry anymore because uh, nobody's buying cars. Uh, We've got a whole other set of problems. <laughs> yeah. the, those sorts of stories that I think are, those are the ones that are more common to be told where it's like, oh, a disease came and it wiped out everybody uh, and here's a story of the survivors. Mm-hmm. Those make for compelling stories, yeah. uh, but they don't they don't reflect sort of what we actually see when these uh, when these new diseases come up and, and sort of race through the population and, and, and take their toll. Um, we won't see apocalyptic level change, but I do think you will see nuanced and, and potentially nefarious change that does need to be, you know, yeah. you need to be, remain aware of and, and uh, to push back against. Already there's a lot of, of um, racism and xenophobia that is associated with with this illness of like, oh, well, you're Chinese, so it's the Chinese illness. The Americans who are talking about closing the Mexican border, even though that's not like a, a recognized disease vector, uh, they've clamped down even more strictly on travel from Iran. At the same time, you know, Italy and and places in Europe that are, are uh, have outbreaks or South Korea, They've said, "Oh well, there's probably parts of those countries you probably don't want to visit," but they haven't they haven't treated them the same way. So it's sort of like those prior biases that already exist are sort of being they're pushed get, here, and yeah, and they're getting and social of, license, as you yes. said earlier. Yeah, yeah, they, yeah, they, yes. get, they get they get a social license, and for those who don't know what social license is, it's when like a certain policy you know has a justification that is popular, and that kind of makes it reasonable for people to do you know the government they're like oh yeah that yeah that policy seems reasonable because of this particular problem we have and all acknowledge um is that a good definition of social license yeah like uh, people yeah. accepting a change or a yeah. policy like, is a great definition um and so where we might say oh that that travel restriction on mexico that is entirely inappropriate uh right now they're saying well this is to protect you and your families and, and people might have a tendency to say, oh, oh, okay, like, sure. like I didn't like it before, but now I'm okay with it. Yeah, and I don't have to like it, but, like, yeah. I can understand it and I can accept it. Um, Which but, is all the government needs. They <laughs> you don't need to love it. Yeah. yeah. And so some of these, like, more nuanced shifts, um, I think, 
often will lead to sort of the the entrenchment of people who are already in power um and and the status quo really like clamping down and being like we are at threat mm-hmm. uh and so the best way to do to to not be at threat is to double down on everything that we do right now yeah uh, and and that's a, a recipe for long-term disaster it, indeed it is <laughs> uh you know like yeah i think for me like one of the main examples is and this is and this is one of the things about how like just how messy this gets is you know iraq which is currently undergoing like massive street protests um and it has like a very lively political discourse uh has been like okay covid19 everyone go home now you're not allowed to be in public public health reasons uh which is extremely convenient for the <laughs> yeah you know. and it, it sounds like yeah. a perfectly reasonable thing to be like oh well you know like mm-hmm. public gatherings are where transmission is at the highest risk mm-hmm. what are the what are the sort of the knock-on effects of that yeah, yeah what's that so what's that going to happen is that a reasonable thing for them to ask and you know what's going to happen uh yeah. Yeah, what what does that do to to the social fabric and political mm-hmm. um, ongoings in Iraq, which you know are, are far too complicated for us in our <laughs> <laughs> for us in our, our years of reading uh, a trashy paperback sci-fi's to actually tell you what the impacts will be. But anyway, uh, speaking of those trashy, well, not trashy, wonderful uh, paperback sci-fi novels and and such the like, uh, this kind of brings us to what we're doing because you know obviously we're not epidemiologists and pathologists, we're not here really experts in in COVID-19, but we are, I think we consider ourselves experts in science fiction and science fiction, you know, has a long history of narratives uh, about disease. And there's, you know, Marshall already gave us one example with station 11. And I think, yeah, there's this notion of like, there's a lot of narratives about disease and the way we have kind of thought about disease uh, in popular culture cannot help but shape how we will think about disease kind of moving forward in its current uh, iteration yeah yeah absolutely so I, I think one of the examples of kind of like an epidemiological scenario that we've already covered on the show actually is the deep space nine episode Babel. and this is a like a uh, a targeted attack um in in the episode which covid19 is not that Babel relies the the story the plot in Babel relies on this cryptic transmission of of the disease that O'Brien becomes infected, but he doesn't know that he's ill. And then he passes the illness on to multiple other people on the station before they've had an opportunity, uh, you know, sort of contain it. And so then they're sick and passing it on to people. And and so this disease runs rampant. And people who, who think that they haven't come into contact with anybody, it's almost impossible to know whether they have or not, right? Because they're, they're all in a confined space. But we are seeing outbreaks uh around the world now that don't seem to be tied with anyone who you know was in the initial outbreak area in uh, having visited wuhan um so there there are cases uh that i was reading about in uh the seattle area where when they they did the genome mapping of of the the illness um, they found that sort of there, there had been some generational drift between these two and they estimated that, you know, there, there are, were hundreds of people probably who had been infected completely un, unknown, uh, and unreported because it didn't affect them that much. Well, it was, it didn't affect them that much and they didn't know anybody who had been in China and they themselves had not been in China. So 
they couldn't have COVID-19, right? Uh, but in fact, they could because, you know, somebody went through screening and was told, nope, you're fine. Mm-hmm. We're not actually fine. Mm-hmm. And then have now passed this illness on to, to others. And it just sort of is like this latent hidden thing yeah. until there's, a, you know, sort of a critical number of people. Um, and then and then it breaks out and you're like, oh, this is a big problem. This is a problem. Yeah. Um, so this, this cryptic transmission is, it can be scary because, you know, do I have a cold? Uh, yeah. Or do I have this new scary illness? It really indicates how moralizing is extremely unhelpful mm-hmm. uh, and how there's this tendency to believe that people who are, just, you know, the, there's this no, trope of the typhoid Mary, right? Um, for those of you who don't know, typhoid Mary was a woman. She worked as a cook and then kind of like a child care worker in New York and um, during a typhoid outbreak in the 19th century. And she uh, absolutely refused to stop working in food handling, basically, uh, and was ultimately, you know, held in a sanatorium by the New York State Department of Health. Um, she just didn't believe in, you know, she didn't believe in ger- the germ theory, I guess, and uh, felt that, you know, and so she was just belligerently carrying on touching people's foods and and not practicing proper hygiene or quarantine herself when she was sick and she was a carrier and she made a lot of people ill. Uh, and this is so this kind of this notion of a typhoid Mary, of someone who's out there, someone who's out there who's, you know, ignorantly or maliciously um, contaminating people. But you know, with cryptic transmission, you can, it doesn't require any, any moral flow, but you can be doing everything you can that's reasonably scientifically safe and following all the policies and prescriptions. Uh, and, you know, it can still happen. You know, it's unlikely, but it can still happen. And we're talking about billions of people on Earth. It's going to happen. Yeah. Um, well, has, has, and yeah. is happening. Yes, exactly. So, you know, I think this, so we, there's also needs to tend to be this thing of like, well, if so-and-so did the right thing, if X country did the correct thing, if Y person, you know, was adequately self-sacrificing, then we wouldn't be in this mess. And that's an extremely... Uh, unhelpful <laughs> way to approach, I think, a health crisis mm-hmm. like these ones. Um, and I think this is, yeah, and for me, we'll talk maybe more of this later, but I think like kind of we all think about that guy who gets bitten by the zombie and doesn't tell anybody, you know? <laughs> but we'll, we'll get to zombies in a little bit. Um, what do we want to talk about in the, or is zombies the next thing? It is. Do we have another thing on deck? Okay, uh, zombies. Zombies, they're crazy. They are, I guess, technically a disease metaphor because often in these, you know, it's often just explained in like a one-line thing. Oh, a, a, a satellite fell and then, you know, or some environmentalists went into a monkey lab. I don't know. <laughs> there are I, lots of different 28 ways. Days Later is a wonderful film, but deeply reactionary. <laughs> it's, it's politics, are. <laughs> but uh, I guess the thing is, yeah, so... Zombies tend to be uh, kind of like the most common sort of like, I guess, sci-fi fantasy disease. Um, and it kind of it kind of is like kind of like the go-to uh, thing for pandemic um, when people start thinking about it, people start thinking about it like that apocalyptic pandemic. But zombies, I think, uh, as a narrative trope, kind of going back to like Romero and like, you know, in the in the 70s, um, is really more about like, it's about something, it's about a psychological phenomena, right? And it's about this, 
sense of social dislocation and deeply seated fear uh, that, you know, when things go down, when things are bad, people will betray you, they'll abandon you, you know, as soon as the thin veneer of society is stripped off, everyone just starts ripping your flesh, everyone's out to rip the flesh off your bones, man, and it's only you, and fuck you, got mine, and there's also a, a fantasy dimension wherein now you're in this sort of like, you know, uh, crazy scenario wherein like, oh, it is morally necessary that I kill my neighbor. In fact, I'm doing them a favor by murdering them. You know, so we <laughs> begin to work out all of this repressed anger and, and rage. Like, so it, it fulfills a very important psychological function. And then on top of that, you know, like in like the Dawn of the Dead and stuff, you know, you have like stuff about like, there's like notions of consumerism uh, <laughs> and things like that, um, which, you know, may or may not be progressive or not. I don't know. I'm not here to judge it. One of the things that comes out of the zombie genre is an air of right-wing reaction. Uh, and this notion that, you know, I think it becomes like the a fictional justification for like a whole bunch of narrative, a whole bunch of narrative about disease and a whole bunch of like moral justifications for how to behave, you know, in a disease scenario. And this is probably empirically untrue. You know, that when things are bad, when situations get difficult, everyone just goes nuts and starts just tearing everything and everyone apart. Um, that That's really not <laughs> what happens. But it, it, I think zombie films have cumulatively uh, placed that image and that notion in our minds. And now it doesn't even need to be like really verifiable to just, it's just a concept in pop culture that right-wing reactionaries can continuously tilt to. Oh, you know, things will go crazy. People will go to the, I guess long ago you had like the concept of the mob, you know. <laughs> right, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Know, like a demo, like the Greek demos, you know, like the, <laughs> you know, going to take it way back, uh, you know, like a rule by the mob. Things are out of control. Or like a, a pitchfork wielding mob. Yeah, yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. Which is, which, you know, which with that, and that only makes sense in the context of you are an aristocratic ruling class who are afraid of the people who you've abused and enslaved getting together and coming to tear the flesh off your bones because you've been ruining their lives for generations. That, that happens. Are you, are you not, <laughs> are you not afraid of that? That's justified. I, I, I don't think I'm an aristocratic uh, ruling class person. So I, I, I don't think that's actually something I viably have to be afraid of. But I think again, this tendency, you know, um, Every every man is a king and his home is a castle, you know. Uh, certainly coming so out. You of, are an aristocrat. <laughs> well, this is the American dream. Like each home a plantation, you know. Um, you know, and you have this sort of like you know, yeah. Every everyone, and so now if every every sort of like middle class person, you know, um, there's just like a massive teeming underclass that's coming to tear tear away and tear down everything you've built and destroy you uh, for your success. Uh, th this is not the case. No, obviously. No, no, no. There's also um, uh, you were talking about like sort of the the fantasy of of killing your neighbor. There's another fantasy that sort of comes out with uh, zombie stories uh of sort of like in the aftermath of the zombies yeah. of like becoming a feudal lord yeah of a, of a world well one thing a world that's one emptied you know i think uh, uh john dolan the war nerd <laughs> um kind of talks about this a lot he talks about like seeing like the scene in 28 days later where the guy wakes up and is walking around london and it's just empty and it's like that. That's beautiful. <laughs> it's like that's beautiful. That's a, that's a dream. I'm like, yeah, that is like you know, that's a beautiful thing. Like one where you live in a, a pristine world, emptied of the emptied of everyone, and ah, oh, yes, it's free, a verdant world for for me and my harem to reclaim. Uh, and the other one I think is like is then like the um, 
the the walking dead thing yeah like you know yeah i might be i might be some like shithead you know low level employee but man you 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 turn the tables you get rid of the cops and put a gun in my hand and a rove of zombies and i will be you know ruling this land <laughs> from the back of a horse with an ar15 I'll be in charge because I, yeah. I, I have what it fucking takes. Yeah, by by the strength of my back and 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 my wits, yeah. I will, you know, I will form a heroic band uh, that will rule from here uh, to the Mississippi. Yeah, our, our mighty capital. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, sure, sure, yeah. You, you, the, the, yes, the Archduke of Arkansas. Yeah. <laughs> Good for you. Yeah, That's, I think that is a great fantasy to have. Everybody's got to have one. Yeah, everyone's right? got to have one that that everything is destroyed and and you control tenant farmers. Uh, <laughs> in, in I mean, the, in the Midwest or in the in the South, and <laughs> I think it says a lot about a person uh, if that's a fantasy that they actually <laughs> hold. Yeah. Well, yes. It's well. It's true. I think. Well, the, 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 there is. We are responsible for our dreams, and some dreams are wrong. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, because like when I think about like, oh, what would my ideal world be? It's not, you know, me becoming uh, an, an aristocrat, you know, wielding a sawed-off shotgun uh, as you know my uh, scepter. Like uh, Rebecca Solnit in A Paradise Built from Hell uh, looked at a variety of, of different disasters and sort of the aftermath of them and found that, in fact, communities don't turn into uh, rampaging zombie hordes but do band together and collectivize and, and look out for each other and try to make sure that everybody in the community gets through this together Mm-hmm. Uh, and like, if we all pull together, we're a whole lot better. We're a whole lot more likely to come out of it, you know, alive than if we just start turning on each other. That's turning on each other is a surefire way uh, for trouble. Yeah, and I think one of the things that's interesting to me is this narrative of looting, like, like, oh no, like there's a flood and now there's looting going on. And I think looting does happen. Like, looting does happen, but I think also we got to think about like who is the victim in looting. You know, like, first of all, I mean, there's just people who are normal house robbers and they're just like, yes, I am a house robber. Today is a good day for house robbing. Um, you know, I don't think that's like, you know, that's just going to be an unfortunate fact of life. And I think, but I think also typically when like looting does happen, like people go in to like, it's again, that notion of people uh, destroying their betters, you know, like yeah. people go to stores. Yes. The Walmart is shut down. People need things. They let themselves into the Walmart and get things they need. Like, and that is legally, technically looting, <laughs> but it's not, you know, but it's, it's not, it's not on the scale of like being like, well, anarchy. Yeah. Yeah. You know, no. you take your shirt off and then say, <laughs> pull out a, pull out a Glock from somewhere and say, give me all your money and get on the ground. Like, you know, like it's. Why did you need to take your shirt off? I don't know. Cause it's anarchy. Can you put your shirt back on now? No, not until the anarchy ends. <laughs> not until. So we we uh, we talked to uh, Corey Doctorow a while ago, uh, and one of the stories uh, is Mask of the Red Death, uh, and I think that you know nicely sort of uh, is a, is a nice example of this. Like uh, mm-hmm. there's a there's a sickness, it's bad. Uh, the wealthy people all go into their you know 
their bunkers their with bunker. their huge stacks of guns and thumb drives of cryptocurrency. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and uh, and they lock out everyone else. They say, no, like, you are not welcome here. You are the bearer of disease. You are our vector of our downfall. Um, and then the story ends with all of the people in the bunker uh, basically dying of dysentery, yeah. which was not the disease that was ravaging the population. Uh, <laughs> nope, that was just their straight up. They just had to, they were so full of shit, Marshall. Yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah. yeah. Uh, but everyone else who they had turned away from their bunker, uh, you know, found solace in community and they were doing all right. Mm-hmm. Things weren't perfect, but oh. they were, they were doing all right. Everything, everything was going to be okay. Humanity was going to live to see another day. Uh, but, you know, quite nicely, a lot of the, the shit bags uh, had offed themselves yeah. unintentionally. So, well, and I think what Corey said too there was also uh, when describing it, it was like you know they they over prepared for a scenario, for one scenario, and really under prepared for the actual biggest problem, which was going to be their battle with microbes. Um, and they and they prepared for this military confrontation that never really occurs. Um, and when it does, there it happens because they go out and try and mess with someone else like them, <laughs> who ironically so, is better equipped. At it. Yeah. Well. Yeah. So you know, it just really becomes this whole issue of yeah. But whereas people who are just kind of normal people, um, trying to stick together, did better, which I think, which I think again bears out, but and also mm-hmm. points to the fact that, that if you are in the situation like where you're in like a disaster or something, um you know, the, the strength of your ties in your community will help you to be better. But, um, what's it called when people jack up the price in a price gouging, gouging. There we go. Yeah. Yeah. Price gouging, which is actually one of the worst things that one of the most terrible things that happen. Yeah. People come in and they're like, Hey, well they practice. Well, I don't think this episode has come out yet, but we're gonna talk about this later. Arbitrage. Mm. Right. Uh, I mean, you talked about it with Cory Doctorow as well, but this notion of like, well, there's a people are willing to pay a lot more for toilet paper in Louisiana right now. So I'm just going to buy some cheap toilet paper in uh, in Arkansas and drive it on down. Uh, oh, wait, we're talking about Arkansas a lot. Tonight. <laughs> like, you are. I love Arkansas. It's a, just, uh, yeah, pro- price gouging is absolutely a thing that uh, happens. When when disaster strikes, we you see it all the time of like, oh, generators are all of a sudden more expensive, or oh, that water purifier is suddenly more expensive, um, and uh, horrible. It's yeah. a, it is a disgusting practice. Yeah. And 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 in that case, they're the people who are the barrier to people having water and food. Yeah. Right? It's not like you know. <laughs> so often these people who are who are venerable businessmen, venerable institutions, and, and businessmen one day are actually the villains. Of a of a disaster scenario, the next R- revealed as villains. Wow, they they were villains the day. They before were villains too. the whole day, yeah. whole whole time. But I think there's also a more immediate and political lesson, I guess, which is more what we're talking about is like, which we really want to come back to, which is the notion that what's the cure? Really, the cure to disease and the thing that allows like the coronavirus to have a casualty rate of you know less than one percent to three percent is actually our collective action mechanisms that we have, right? Uh, our, you know, socialized medicine, technology, you know, <laughs> the ability to develop, you know, vaccines and cures and, you know, and, and, and treatment at tr- the very yeah, least. Treatment and, 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 and pathology mitigation strategies, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. To shelter those that are vulnerable from the disease and so on. Yeah. And those come from, uh, and those come from, and those generally do not come from a free market driven 
Uh, <laughs> no. Greed is good. No, Space. no. I mean, even even in the United States, the there are there are stories that have, have come out of people who have said like I I wanted to go get tested, uh, and either I was told, uh, you know, like I wasn't uh, at enough risk to be tested, mm-hmm. um, or they were told certainly, but you're uninsured, so. Uh, $3,000, please. $3,000. Or even you are insured, but it's $3,000 and, and you know, your insurance will cover half of that or something. And so just to find out if you have this serious illness, uh, you have to pay uh, thousands of dollars potentially um, just to, to find out if you're sick uh, or or yeah. how, how sick you are. Um, and that's just sort of like super counterintuitive Right, the incentives yeah. there are are, are all. It's wrong. full of perverse incentives, and it's a completely avoidable scenario because the U.S. has endorsed a test with very rare reagents. Right over over the over the you know international standard testing, which is much cheaper and much more available, uh, because they wanted to again preserve a proprietary um, pharmaceutical tech that was developed domestically <laughs> and not use the the low cost publicly <laughs> publicly circulated <laughs> one. So. Go yeah. figure. That's, yeah, yeah, you know, um, and that and that is a decision that will kill people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I think uh, you know, sort of to to cap off this discussion, just some like, I don't know, my my recommendations or our recommendations uh, and like our our hopes um, for how you might behave in in the coming days. Right, um, be sensibly prepared. Mm-hmm. Uh, this isn't the time to like go out and buy a gun because. The apocalypse is coming. This is the time to... Gun will not protect you from coronavirus. It will not. It's too tiny to shoot. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, But like, you know, uh, check check your staples uh, in in your kitchen. Check your kitchen staples and make sure that you've got food that is going to, you know, be shelf stable and 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 last because like if if you're told you know you have to stay home for two weeks uh or we're closing the schools and grocery stores for two weeks like you know you're going to want to be able to make sure that you've got some some frozen goods and you've got some shelf stable stuff in there and you've got you know what what you can right you know Mm -hmm. beans and flour and rice rice eggs yeah some things that are gonna like they'll be all right uh and you can stretch them out and you can You'll get through these two weeks. No problem. Fine. Yeah. Too late. Yeah. Don't go buy everything in the store. Right. Yeah. <laughs> don't like buy enough that for what you need, but yeah. don't hoard things because uh, that's not going to be helpful. Yeah. And you're not going to be able to go out and do arbitrage. You know, you're going to be like, hey, you no. need some beans? I'll sell them to you for $50. <laughs> you're not even going to be able to do that because you can't go anywhere. Not. So, uh, you know, um, check on your neighbors. You know, be just make sure you know who's around you and how they're doing. Yeah. Uh, maybe you know, and have their phone numbers. You know, be able to call them, stay in touch. Yeah, yeah. Ch- talk to your friends. Make sure you have a plan. Like, you know, are you gonna go to your parents' place and stay there for two weeks, or you know, are they vacationing in Florida and uh, are not around? Like, know what know what's happening with your community. Mm-hmm. Just like. Build those connections, shore them up right now because it's a it's a good time. Yeah, if you're a worker and you do not have uh, a sick pay uh, option, you know, uh, uh, available for you, um, now's a good time to be like, hey, 
talk to your coworkers and be like, hey, we need we need this. Yeah. This is a real thing that we need. You know, yeah. Pete, just because you work at Walmart doesn't mean you don't get sick. No. Right? Yeah. <laughs> you should have sick pay. You should have sick pay if you work at Walmart. Or 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 anywhere. You should or anywhere. you should have yeah. sick pay wherever you work. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and unfortunately, often the people that are sort of in the position to, to have the like the most drastic effect yeah. missing on, on spreading illness uh, are the ones who are told be here no matter what. Yeah. Right? Like food service workers. Uh, any sort Hygiene, of retail yeah. work, Anyone those sorts janitorial of or custodial work, yeah, yeah, where like yeah. you're in contact with a, <laughs> yeah. a large and varied number of people, yeah, uh, those are the ones that are often the most precarious and are like, yeah, you can't miss work because it might hurt the bottom line of yeah. a giant international corporation, and it might hurt your ability to make rent. Well, yes, <laughs> I mean, <laughs> yeah. yes, yeah. you're you're told to be in line, like to, to be at work because it might hurt the bosses, um, but they also hold it over you that if you don't show up because you're sick. Um, yeah, you're in a very precarious position, so. And that is not acceptable. No, it's no. super, super terrible. So, so as the cure for coronavirus, as with many things, is in fact uh, socialism. That's right. Yeah. And the cure for your science fiction political economy analysis needs is Androids and Assets. And you can find us uh, on all of the major uh, podcasting platforms. We're on Stitcher, we're on Spotify, we're on iHeartRadio, and just, you know, any one of those other podcatchers you may have. Um, we can be found on Twitter at AssetDroid, as well as at Instagram at AssetDroid. Uh, please tell people about the show. Uh, listen, like, subscribe, comment, uh, agitate. Uh, and if you want to follow Marshall and myself, you can follow me, Steve Droids on Twitter uh, and e- or email me if you like the old fashioned email path. Um, Steve, Steve, S T E V E S T E V E at androids and assets.ca. Marshall, how do people find you on uh, the internets? <laughs> I'm on uh, Twitter uh, at econo Boyd, uh, or you can email me uh, Marshall M A R S H A L L uh, at androids and assets.ca. Yeah. And Marshall has a great Twitter, much better than mine. So it's, it's doing <sighs> good stuff. <laughs> I, I highly I recommend the follow. I'm gonna follow Marshall. He's some good stuff. I appreciate that, but I I feel undeserving. You're a social media star. We we love you, and uh, we hope that you stay happy, healthy, and safe. Wash your hands. Twenty seconds. Hot soapy water. Don't touch your face. Don't touch your. Right. Don't don't be like don't be putting people's fingers in your mouth like Joe Biden, <laughs> or like Mike Bloomberg licking his fingers while eating pizza and like putting it back in the box. Gross. Who's that guy from Fox? Who says-